And then he said, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. I can't catch a break, guys. Yeah. Get them the fuck away from me. I can't, I can't be around those guys. People think, oh well, cleaning your room, that's just a cliche. It's like, yeah, really, eh? Just go ahead and try it. If people had any idea how powerful sleep is for healing from anything, and the fact that it's free. My mind is absolutely bulletproof, solid as a rock. Podcast. And welcome to the Fighting Fit Podcast. Uh, I'm doing this one on my own today. Uh, I said I'd do one on yoga last week for this week. And uh, I'm doing it now. I have a lot to talk about with yoga. Uh, I'm going to try and go into a little bit more detail um, on the journey I went on in Thailand and stuff like that there. And what I learned and why I found it so enlightening. So uh, here we go. Uh, first off, yoga is a movement practice. Um, the asanas are a movement practice, but really yoga is a spiritual journey towards enlightenment. And it literally gives you a step-by-step guide to reach enlightenment. Now, that step-by-step journey has a lot of um, a lot of little speed bumps and stuff that you have to overcome. I'm going to explain those and uh, what you're supposed to do and why they're there and why they're important. Um, I'm only really going to be able to explain the early ones. Uh, as we go a little bit later on, I haven't really delved into it that much myself, so it does get a little bit esoteric and a little bit uh, more complicated um, and harder to understand. Well, for me personally, anyway. So, first off, um, yoga or yeah, yoga it has eight limbs. There, um, the eight limbs of yoga are basically the journey to enlightenment. So, the first one are the yamas. The second one is the niyamas. The third one is asanas, the fourth one pranayama, the fifth one pratyahara, the sixth one uh, dharana, the seventh one dhyana, and the eighth one samadhi. So that is Sanskrit. Um, Sanskrit is like the language that all of the asanas or all of the postures are all named in when you do yoga and you delve into it a little bit deeper. But um, the yamas are basically restraints. They're uh, the yamas and the niyamas, they're basically like commandments for yoga. And if you abide by these, they'll make you a more uh, relaxed, nice um, person. They take away a lot of stresses and suffering from your day-to-day life. So the yamas, uh, the restraints, uh, they start off, there's five of them. There is ahimsa. Uh, ahimsa means non-harming or non-violence. Uh, basically, um, if you're a violent person, it's really hard for you to get enlightened because you know, you're troubled by anger basically um, then with the next one after that is satya which is truth you have to be a truthful person and um, after that is a stay so it's non-stealing so you don't want to be um, basically stealing stuff and um, after that it's a uh, brahmacharya brahmacharya is basically non-lust so and uh, non sort of desire you don't really want to be being like oh she's a fit bureau or anything like that there you want to make sure that you're you have some sort of control over that sort of lust um, and then after that is a parigraha and that basically means non-hoarding or non sort of um you don't want you don't want to be overly obsessive with the or overly attached to the things that you have because if you're overly attached to the things that you have when you lose them it causes great pain and you can't really be enlightened with that, that sort of pain um, after that you've got the niyamas uh, the niyamas are saucha uh, Saucha basically means cleanliness or when we were in Thailand they called it purity 
Um, it basically means like purity of the soul. Um, then after that, you've got uh, santosha, which is contentment or gratitude or um, like the level of happiness you have with what you already have um, and just being content with it. When you're content, it's just like there's a little bit of pressure lifts off your shoulder. You don't, you don't have to chase anything. Um, after that, you've got tapas, which basically means um, zest for yoga. I kind of think, think of it as like a um, passion for the practice, passion for uh, chasing it down and getting it done. Um, after that, you've got a svadhyaya, which is um, self-study. So when you go through this journey, you'll find out uh, what sort of person you are, um, what your limitations are, what, uh, you bias, what biases you sort of have. Um, whether you're kind of angry or whether you're coveting or whether um, you're jealous, all that sort of things. Like if you're, if you, let's say, have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you lost after stuff or you lost after them and then someone hits on them, well, then you're going to get angry and you won't be able to control that sort of emotion. Uh, after a self-study, you've got um, Ish, how do I say Ishvara Prana Dhyana which basically means a uh, surrender. So you gotta sort of let go. At the end of every yoga session, um, there should be a shavasana, which is basically a 10 minute meditation. Um, it can be 15 minutes, it can be 20 minutes, whatever it is, but it's like after you do all your stretching and after you do all of your um, all of your postures, and you're, you're tired and there's loads of um, effort built up and then it's like after that effort you just get to relax and when you when you're done and the lights are off and you're just laying there in corpse pose with your palms open your feet turned out uh, just eyes closed just breathing it feels really really nice and uh, it actually gives you permission to let go and until you actually do something like, like that there you don't really understand how it feels and once you do it and you know how it feels it's like you you sort of feel what it's like to let go and sort of surrender um, after that, so there, that's the yama and the niyamas. We've got the asanas. The asanas are the postures. Um, the po what the postures basically do is they make sure that your body is in good health. So if you are like always up on your shoulders and you have all this tension, uh, like you feel that whether you're conscious of it or unconscious of it, like you feel like you're up on your shoulders. Like if you sit like this all day with your shoulders up around your ears, like you will feel like someone who has their shoulders up around their ears all day. You'll feel tense, you'll feel stressed, you'll feel like, you, not angry, but you'll feel like you, you just have that little bit of extra pressure on you. Whereas if you relax, roll your shoulders down your back, lean back, you'll feel like you're more laid back. Um, there's a reason why we have all those sort of phrases, you know, like, oh, he's really laid back or he's really uptight. And I think that is through a, a, some sort of thing some sort of like relation to like your your posture and your your physiology have a very very big influence over your mental state and so like again if you're up in your ears like this here you know you feel like someone who's up in your ears like this here if you're relaxed your shoulders or down your back you'll feel super laid back um but also like the asanas make it easy for you to relax in a proper position that's not stressful like um, the main thing the main reason why you do your asanas is basically so you can sit in full lotus uh, and with an upright posture in a very comfortable manner. So like full lotus is basically like your arms crossed but for your legs and your feet are up inside the crease of your hips, the opposite ones. It's 
if you've ever tried it, it's really, really difficult. It, for me, anyway, if you have tight hips, like it's it's incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, the the whole reason, you well, part of the reason why you do the asanas is so you can sit there in an upright position comfortably so you can meditate with full concentration. And uh, when you do that, it's like, I haven't done it yet because I, I can't do full lotus. I can do half lotus and I, I've sat full, fully relaxed and meditated for a while and it does feel really nice. Like, it's just like, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's really hard to describe. I, I would have been someone who would have been very, like analytically minded, very intellectual, very sort of in my head, very sort of like, if this, then that. But yoga has given me a different perspective. It's maybe more like airy-fairy and more feely. So when you're more in tune with how stuff feels, like meditation really, really helps you just get that, that sigh of relief. And it's, if you're really stressed all the time, like you do need that. Like if you're doing lots of high intensity and training and all this sort of crack, it's, it's very, it helps a lot. But basically, the asanas have you sit in full lotus uh, with your posture perfect, with all your chakras aligned, and uh, when all those are aligned, you can basically meditate and reach higher states of consciousness, basically. That's the whole point. Um, after that, you've got the pranayama, or no, sorry, uh, yeah, pranayama, which is the breath or life force. Uh, pranayama doesn't necessarily mean breath, it means life force, which is food and breath. Every breath that you breathe in basically gives you life. Every breath that you exhale is like basically noxious air or toxic air or whatever it is. I know it's not literally like that, but these guys didn't have science back then. This is how they sort of explained it. Um, if you eat, oh, what are the things? There's tamas. There's three sort of types of food. Uh, basically, one uh, gives you energy and makes you vital and makes you healthy. And that's basically raw vegetables that the yogis say. Um, then you have... Another type of food you can look, I'm not 100% sure on the on the names of them, but um, is it Vritti? No. But basically then there's another one that's like neutral. It, it doesn't really give you energy, but it doesn't really take it away from you either. It's just like, it does the job. And then there's a, a foods that take away from your energy and take away from your consciousness and just make you feel lethargic and take away from your health and your vitality. And um, you want to sort of breathe and get as much vitality as you possibly can. And you want to, um, eat to get as much vitality as you possibly can and control the life force that you have so you're living with a lot of energy if you have a lot of energy you can do more and you can reach better states of consciousness like when you're tired you know the world seems like a much more negative place than it has to be and when you're full of energy the world you're a lot more content with the with the world so uh, the next one after that is pratyahara so that's basically um withdrawal of the senses so um, when you're meditating, you, well, you you bring yourself into the present and um, you start noticing different things. So you notice that you hear stuff and that you notice that you don't have to try to hear anything. They just, it just appears. And uh, what you want to do is you want to sort of like come away from identifying with your senses. So like when you see something, it's like you... It's, it's really hard to explain, actually. See, once we start getting up to here, I do get a little bit uh, confused. But what I do know is that uh, your senses cause your desires. So, like, you, if you hear stuff, you want to hear nice stuff. If you hear harsh stuff, you want to move away from it. And that's kind of where, like, suffering comes. It's, it kind of leads into that. So, like, if you, or if you decide that 
music, so bad music is bad music, well then you won't want to listen to it. And while you're listening to it, you're so technically suffering because you have to listen to it. But if you listen to sweet music, you know, you have that, um, it's, it's nice, it's a nice sort of feeling. So then you have that sort of good and bad sort of mentality. Whereas like if you withdraw from the senses and you just notice it as a sound rather than as good or bad, well then that's when you become one step closer to enlightenment. Um, and it's the same with smell, it's the same with touch, it's the same with uh, taste, it's the same with, um, with emotional feelings and stuff like that there as well. Uh, your senses sort of lead to your, your desires. And then after that you have um, Dharana, I can't say that properly, Dharana. Um, Dharana is basically focus or concentration. And so after you've done step one, which is Yama, and then step two, and then step three, which is the Asanas, and then you're, you've mastered your Pranayama, and you've uh, got your withdrawal of your senses, um, then uh, you move on to focus. So then it's just basically how you, how well you can focus. This this is where I haven't even touched this sort of stuff yet. I've tried. My focus is really bad. Uh, my girlfriend Ashton says I've got ADHD. Uh, I don't want to think that I do, but it could be true. I do drink a lot of coffee and all that jazz now. But focus, um, it's just basically your ability to direct your attention. Um, when I meditate, one of the first things that I do is I try and bring my attention to my breath. So instead of focusing on what I can see or what I can do this or different thoughts, especially thoughts, um, instead of going on my thoughts, I focus on the sensation of breath. And then as soon as I get distracted, I just bring it right back to breath. I just go, I just try and experience breathing as much as I possibly can. And while I'm trying to do that, it's really hard to think of other things, if that makes any sense. Um, then after a focus, so you want to flex that. That's like a, a muscle and you want to get better and better and better at that. Eventually, like you can master it and be able to direct your focus and change it from anything to anything, from like, let's say, sort of the pain that you have in, uh, in a posture. So let's say you're doing a forward fold or you're doing like a wide leg forward fold and you can really, really feel it in your hips or your hamstring or you're doing a frog or something like that there. You change your focus from that pain or that sensation to the breath. And being able to direct that is Durana. Um, after that, you've got Dhyana, which is basically, it says here, state of meditation. Um, I'm not too sure if that's right. Uh, but then after, yeah, and then after that, you've got Samadhi, which is basically uh, the divine or enlightenment. Um, dhyana is, what is Dhyana? Uh, I'm actually not too sure. I need to look that up. I'll get back to you on that one. If you want to message me in a week time and I'll be able to come up with it. But then after you go through all of these steps, you eventually reach Samadhi, which is the divine. And that's basically enlightenment. So you become one with God or whatever it is. And I know it sounds super airy fairy. I'm not sure if I really believe it. But when I was in Thailand um, and I was doing the yoga course, we got these uh, Buddhist monks uh, who do live in John Monastery and all that sort of crack in Thailand. And um, did I mention I went to Thailand? Um, and they only spoke Thai, so we had one of our teachers was Thai as well, and she translated first. And one of the questions I asked was like, "Have you guys reached Samadhi?" And they were like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Well, what's it like?" And they were just like, "The way our um, the way our yoga instructor just said that they said it was that it was just pure bliss. It's just pure bliss and." 
you have no idea what it's like. You have no idea how good it feels or what it's like. You just don't care or you don't, not that you don't care. It's just you have no need for anything else other than um, it's like pure contentment, if, if that makes any sense. And the whole goal is to go, the whole goal to go through all these stages is to basically eliminate suffering from yourself. So you, you yogis can basically, they're content with life um, they're content with uh, how they feel with everything they they have a they're almost immune to suffering but and one of the one of the reasons people suffer is because of their posture Do you know their posture is just they're up and their shoulders their lower back is tight and then when they move it's uncomfortable it doesn't feel good they're, they have no sort of vitality and um, when you reach the divine it's like stuff like that doesn't doesn't matter anymore because you, you don't experience it um, so basically the stuff that I learned from from yoga is basically like it's a movement practice uh, it eliminates bad posture um, bad posture leads to injuries uh, when you have perfect posture I don't have perfect posture yet my shoulders are, are pretty good I do sit forward a little bit but it's possible to sit up straight properly all the time um, but my, my shoulders are pretty mobile and I have very little injuries in my shoulders when I lift weights on my shoulders it feels good it doesn't feel bad whereas like if I uh, go to squat and it's and I, my feet are too wide and I feel the stretch and all that like it doesn't feel as good as it would like a shoulder press and that's really hard to it's really hard to explain to someone who's poor posture because I can see when they when they do their shoulder press and they're all up and hunched over and they literally can't open up their chest they don't because the muscles in their back are weak and their, their muscles here are too tight so when they go to shoulder press instead of it being the motion where the biceps come all the way up behind their ears and their back is switched on to stabilize they are hunched forward and if they fight against those tight muscles down here if they, they have to really struggle to use those weak muscles in their back so when they come up it comes forward and they have to look up and this compensates in the low back puts pressure in the spine and it's like it's a really uncomfortable thing to do uh, Whereas, like, for me, because my shoulders are, are open, not 100%, but because they're open, I can press over my head with, like, little difficulty, and I can start loading on the weight without any risk, not without any risk of injury, but with, like, very confident that I've, I have no risk of injury, where, like, I have no nervousness about that whatsoever. And that's what a movement practice gives you. It, it, it takes you out of your head, it puts you into your body, and it gives you confidence in your ability to move. And confidence, I don't mean like arrogance or like that. I just mean that like you know you're safe when you're doing it. You know you can you can push your limits and not really hurt yourself. Um, whereas like with squatting, if I get a heavy weight on my back and I go to squat, like my ankles turn out, my my feet turn out, my ankles come in, uh, my feet, I have flat feet, um, and it's really hard for me to pop prep, like to drive my knees out. Uh, Brandon's always telling me like he's slagging me because every time I squat my knees or not my knees, my heels turn in and my ankles turn out. My, like I've seen it myself, my my foot literally falls in. I've seen it on my shoes as well, it's not good. Um, and weak feet are, are a big limiting factor in loads of stuff like powerlifting, and sprinting, and um, leaves you more prone to injuries in football, you know, ACL tears and knees knocking in. Uh, and if you have a good movement practice and you develop it, like right now, I'm, I'm only bloody like, let's say a white belt or a blue belt or whatever it is in yoga, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I'm I'm like a lot better at it than I was when I first started, and my movement and mobility is way better. I'm a lot stronger as well. Uh, but I know how to get better. 
Whereas before I was completely clueless. I had, I've done my PT stuff, I've done my strength conditioning stuff, uh, stretching, like it, you don't learn that much. You don't learn that much about stretching. You don't learn that much about uh, your body and how to actually lengthen muscles. You don't learn how to do that when you do a PT course. You learn basically uh, 10 seconds is just for relief after a after you work out, 10 seconds in each sort of stretch or you have your crushed body you have over the head. You have, you're, you're basically like, you know, touch your toes, that's about it. And then if you want to lengthen it, they say basically do it for 30 seconds. And that's about it. There's no sort of experience in it. There's no sort of um, feeling to it. But when you do yoga, it's like you spend way longer in these poses and you, you build up to them. Like there, there's this idea in yoga called a peak pose. And the peak pose is basically like, let's say it's a split. You have to do the splits. So like the whole way through your session, you're doing stretches that will stretch the muscles that will individually that will lead you to doing the full splits better and you will make gains in your mobility out in the peak pose now again it'll be tough you'll be using muscles like like one of the like a, one of the limiting factors for let's say doing the splits is weak glutes and a tight hip flexors so what you'll be doing is you'll be doing like let's say glute bridges so you switch on your glutes loads and you'll be stretching out your hip flexors before that you'll be stretching out your tight hamstrings and then while you're warm and after you've put out all that effort you'll try your best at the last one to do the splits on one side and then you do the other one and after you've tried so hard and you've released so much tension then at the very very end you just lay back and you do your shavasana and you have a really really good meditation because like you feel your body almost like pulsing with energy i know that sounds really really weird but like you do feel that like one of the cues that i hear all the time when you're doing meditation is you know like feel um, your body absorb your practice feel every cell in your body um vibrate with energy and like your cells aren't vibrating i don't think your cells are vibrating with energy but like experientially you feel that if that makes any sense like you feel yourself literally just like almost pulsing you feel your pulse in your arms like you absolutely do because you're so still um but it's 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 really cool so, and you can see yourself develop like a uh, you can see yourself get better and better with each one and then you notice like i notice with running especially like after you do some hip opening stretch and then you go for a run you feel way better like running your stride is easier it's easier to run faster it's not as hard it's not as intense which some people might like because they want the intensity but it's like you can bring the intensity but you can bring it at a higher level now because your hips are open um yeah, so we're, um, as a movement, movement practices are really, really good because they, they help your experience with your body. I, as a coach, like I've seen people come in here and, you know, like their training age for, let's say, their movement practice is zero. Like they, they have no kinesthetic awareness. Well, maybe not none, but like very, very little. You know, if I say, if I say you know, bring your arms up overhead, they'll do this. They'll bring their hands like literally right above their head. Like they won't bring them up, they won't have their arms in a good position, they won't have their shoulders in a good position. Like, and it's like, I'm not blaming them right like that because they've never done it, but like they have a long way to go to get anywhere comp, anywhere close to competence, if that makes sense. Um, and it just holds them back in terms of their fitness goals. Like uh, one of the cool things about being mobile as well is that like you build muscle in the right places. So like if your shoulders are up here like this, you'll have overdeveloped traps. And you'll have a weak back and you'll be able to roll properly if if you want to develop your back you'll be able to do pull-ups properly like 
you won't be able to do an overhead press. Like one of the analogies, I don't know if this is 100% true, but like he, everyone always says, you know, like, or you know the stereotypical yoga teacher, it's like they all have like a big bum. And the reason I think they, they have that, you know, like big bum is because they've well-developed glutes. And the reason they've well-developed glutes is because they have fully mobile hips and they can activate the muscle properly. Whereas like if you have someone with really, really tight hips, their glutes are going to be underactivated. They're not going to be able to use them. Like when you're sprinting or if you're deadlifting and you don't have that mind-muscle connection with them, you're not going to be able to squeeze them and make it grow the same way someone who does have that mind-muscle connection would. Um, some other cool things that uh, yoga has taught me. It's taught me about... Um, it's taught me that you know, your, your breath, your posture, uh, and your mind state or your mental state are like... They're so linked. They're so, so linked. Like if you go down with your head down, your chin down, it, it works both ways. Like if you walk like this here, it's because you probably feel bad. Do you get me? And you, you, you've been like, let's say you're low on the hierarchy and people bully and they poke you all the time. You just have your chin down. You're just trying to avoid contact with people. You're trying to avoid being a big thing. And you're trying not to take up any space just to avoid conflict. Whereas like, and you feel like someone who's like that, who's doing that, which is kind of sad. But if you, or let's say your chest is open, you're expansive, you're expressive, you're someone who's confident, like you feel it in your body, you feel way better. Like even in my tone, even when I'm explaining this, I can feel it. I can, when I bring my arms up like this here, I feel like I'm more confident, like I can speak louder and deeper and like I can say more. I, I know that sounds super weird, but I just, it makes you feel better. It feels like you're a more confident person. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, your breath. Your breath is a big thing as well. A lot of people don't know how to breathe properly either. They they breathe into their chest, so they're they're shallow. They don't know how to breathe into your belly. In yoga, there's this thing called the three-part breath, where you inhale, you breathe in through your nose. You can breathe out through your mouth as well. It doesn't matter. But mainly, they breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. You breathe in, you breathe all the way into your belly, you breathe all the way into your chest, and then you breathe all the way into your shoulders. So you breathe into your belly, then the chest, then the shoulders and then when you exhale it's the shoulders then the chest then the belly and then it comes in sorry I have a little bit of a cold uh, but that's basically like it, it when you breathe like that there it's it's much you get much more energy like if you don't breathe like that and then you start breathing like that because you get so much more oxygen you might even feel a little bit dizzy after it which is kind of cool and um, there's loads of, like there's loads of stuff like you do like kapalabhati breathing in yoga where and this is all trying to play with the the mental state that you have and it's really cool like when you do this you're more excited and you have more energy kapalabhati breathing is like you basically um inhale through your nose exhale through your nose not going to do that because it's not all over the place but as you do it like you inhale your belly comes out and you exhale your belly comes in and you do it like well through your nose i'll I don't want to do it through my nose, but that's basically, and when you do that, it changes, like you can do it now, you can pause the video and start going, and um, even doing it through your mouth, you can still feel it, you can feel that your your energy goes up, so you've, you've, you've more sort of, um, your adrenaline goes up, I don't know if it's your adrenaline, but like it feels like it does, and uh, when you do that before a session, like, like let's say in yoga, you're about to do some really, really hard stuff, like yoga's not all relaxing. Yoga's not all, you know, easy stretching, and it's like the yoga's pretty tough. Like it, like if you go, there's a cool thing where you just go from down dog to knee to elbow, and then knee between the elbows, and then knee to the opposite elbow. Do that five times on each leg. Like you'll have a good sweat going on there, and it's like it's hard to hold. And you have to, 
pump yourself up to do that and the whole time you're doing it your 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 mindset like is really important like you can be talking yourself out of it being like this is so hard this is really difficult i want to stop it's really like your your muscles are tired you just want to relax but then you you push through and your breath has a big part of that so like instead of thinking and going through the negative thought loop of going like relax stop rest you bring your attention to your breath inhale up exhale down inhale up exhale down and when you do that your endurance goes up you can do more because you're not focusing on what you're thinking you're focusing on how you move and you're focusing on how you breath how you breathe instead and you're trying to do that well instead of being in your head because when you're in your head like you overthink things and you'll you're like if you're smart like you'll come up with a really good argument as to why you have to stop and that's what's what i think is really funny um what else have i learned um it helps you be more vital. It helps you prevent injuries. If you if you want to get into the spiritual side of things, Alan Watts. Listen to any sort of thing on YouTube. There's loads of stuff on YouTube with Alan Watts. He basically brings you know the Buddhist philosophy to the Western world or the Western man or whatever that is. And he's he is really cool for explaining stuff. He'll do a way better job of explaining it. But Alan Watts is really really cool. Is there any other stuff as well? Yeah, there's a, I'm reading this book called BKSA Anger is Light and Yoga. A, there's a, a load of information on that that's really, really interesting. Um, I, I don't have it down yet. I've, I'm, I've only started it. But everything I've read so far has been really, really cool. And it's just given me, given me a really, really interesting perspective on self-control. Ah, control. Yoga, yoga is all about control. It's all about being able to control yourself and then once you get that control then you just you let it go and it's a it's really interesting to to do that because like you you work so hard to master it and then you just let it go and you just relax and uh, when you do that it feels really nice and um, i wonder if there if peter can do a word count how many times i've said and um but one of the metaphors in bks iangar's a uh, light on yoga is the chariot metaphor and that is basically the self is basically the guy riding the chariot he's controlling it and then um the ego or the mind is basically the reins and then the horses are basically your senses or your desires and the pastures oh, that the horses are trying to get to are basically, no, they're, the horses are your senses and then the pastures are basically your desires. And what you got to do is you got to be the self, you've got to control the reins with, with your mind and uh, control your, your horses or your senses to not go and eat every single bloody thing in the field. You got to stop, you know, you got to direct them to wherever you want to go and when i thought about that it's broken into those three different parts like the self which is like your higher being who you want to be as a part like everyone has everyone has this sort of thing because i've been going into psychology and all sort of stuff as well and there is this idea of the self look up young psychology of the self it's basically like your perfect person or your ideal who you should be if that makes any sense and that's like basically like your higher self and if you uh, are going to a state of mind where you can be that that person for a while and then you can control your mental state because your mental state is not and your thoughts are not your higher self uh, you're there there's something else 
they, they're, they're influenced by your desires, they're influenced by your habits, they're influenced by your experience, and your higher self is outside that, if that makes any sense. Uh, but basically, you want to you wanna be your higher self and you want to control the mind, and because uh, you're not your mind. A lot of people think they're their thoughts, they're not, you're not your thoughts, you're a thing that watches your thoughts. Uh, so you watch your thoughts and you control your thoughts and you control your desires through your thoughts. So again, you can look at one situation one way and do a completely different thing and look at it a different way and end up with a completely better result. Like the, the Bible does cool stuff with it. Like there, there's a story where some guy gives each person a piece of gold or whatever it is and he's like, or 10 pieces of gold. And uh, he comes back, and one of them, he, a week later or something, one of them comes back, and, and uh, he buried his gold and then came back, gave it to him. He's like, look, I took great care of it. And then one of them went out and lost it all. He literally, literally lost it all. Or not literally, like spent it and bought stuff and all sort of crack. And then one person, like, basically invested it and came back with more gold. And uh, the whoever gave him the gold came, the guy who lost it, he was, they gave him a wee pat in the head. The guy who made more money, he was like, oh, fair play. Like, good job. And then the guy who just buried it and didn't do anything with it, uh, he was, like, really mad at him and really annoyed with him because he didn't do anything with it. He just, like, protected him and didn't experience anything. He basically just stayed in the shell. And, like, the mindset of those three different people is completely different. And I uh, don't know what my point was with that. But um, it was cool, guys. You should really try it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you go through all these paths of yoga, you'll end up enlightened uh, if you uh, you'll end up with a cool body so it's you'll end up with a, a yoga a yogi's body and um, which is you know a pretty vital body you'll have more energy and um, you'll be kinder uh, you'll have less mental anxiety you'll, you'll have less stress you, you'll feel good in yourself um, and you'll, you'll have no injuries which is pretty cool like a lot of people use yoga to treat scoliosis and stuff like that there as well um, but also it's it's fascinating to experience all these different states that like different breath does that different postures give you um, like try it like one of the postures is child's pose after you after you do like a really difficult difficult pose and you go into child's pose like it's like heaven it's it just feels so really really good and it's cool going through all those different experiences and I, I would recommend everyone does try it for that and if this was a little bit out there for you um, sorry but like I would recommend you try it. If you try it and start going down this path, like I, I that's it. I think you'll understand me a little bit more. And uh, that's it for the Fine Fit podcast on yoga and my perspective on yoga. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Thanks very much, guys. <laughs>